Welcome to Kevin Connors Podcast. This series is on the Tabernacle of Moses, which is the topic of one of the first books that Kevin Connor wrote about. Visit kevinconnor.org for more details. How many are finding the more you know, the less you know? Even I do after all these years, I say, wow. Sometimes when I'm studying this, I just have to stop and just have a little worship, say, oh, Jesus, let's have a worship time. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. Sometimes say, Holy Spirit, you're talking too fast. Slow down. I can't write those thoughts fast enough. Amen. <laughs> All right. Okay. For our last session tonight, wow, time goes, didn't it, eh? Uh, uh, but uh, some asked about this. Um, when I was in the U.S. a uh, hundred years ago, whatever, uh, I was teaching, I think, on this area, and uh, because a lot of the churches in the U.S. only have communion once every year, once every three months, and fearful become a form, said anything can become a form if you don't make room for the Holy Spirit, make room for the presence. And uh, I asked the students in one of their assignments, I said, I want you to make, go through the Bible and give me half a dozen messages, communion messages, communion exhortation. And I said, that's impossible. There's hardly a thing in the Bible about it. And I gave them an idea, and then so a number of years ago, to help people, I wrote this little book on table talks, and there's 52 different exhortations. They can go into an hour study if you want to, or seven to ten minutes exhortation on the Lord's table. For those of you who do have communion in the life groups, uh, well recommended. Fifty-two different table talks and uh, just a whole, you know, people say, wow, we've never seen such uh, illumination on the table as uh, you've written there and that's for that purpose. All right, so I want you to turn now for our final session. We're going to look at the uh, altar of incense and the life of prayer we call this. So the brazen altar, the way of approach to God through the blood, uh, the brazen labor, the way of cleansing, washing of water by the word, and then uh, Jesus, the bread of life, uh, our daily bread. Man should not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then the golden candlestick, walking in the light as he is in the light. Now we're going to uh, the, the altar uh, of incense, the golden altar it's called. All right, so let's go to the main passage here. And uh, Exodus chapter 30. And I, I, you know, I really, really do trust that you're being challenged in your own spiritual walk with the Lord. And it's not just information of the mind, but it's going to go into your heart. Everybody said amen. All right, Exodus chapter 30, and I'd like to read verses 1 through to 10. I'll read from a new authorized here. You shall make an altar to burn incense on it. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its width. It shall be square and two cubits shall be its height. Its horns shall be of one piece with it and you shall overlay its top, its sides all around and its horns with pure gold and you shall make for it a moulding of gold all around. Uh, the, I think the old, old authorised says you shall make unto it a crown, crown of gold, so I'm moulding a crown. Um, two rings you shall make for it under the moulding on both its sides you shall place them on its two sides and they shall be holders for the poles with which, you, uh, with which to bear it you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold and you shall put it before the veil 
that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat, that is over the testimony where I will meet with you. And Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense every morning. When? When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. And when? When Aaron lights the lamps at even, uh, at twilight, he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. You shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. May God bless the word to our heart. All right, just to remind you again what we've been saying on each game. This was given by revelation to Moses, given by divine revelation at Mount Sinai. And then in letter B, you have the construction of the, uh, of the altar. Let me just get my notes here. So chapter 37, verse 25 to 29, we have the construction. And uh, again, reminding you of this, everything was made according to the pattern showed to Moses in the mount. Moses was faithful in all his house. All right, under letter C, it's interpretation, it's materials. All right, we have the same thoughts there. Acacia wood is always symbolic of? Yes, incorruptible humanity of Christ, the, the human nature of Christ of the earth. See, acacia wood comes out of the earth, so the human nature of Christ and the gold overlay points to his divine nature. So always keep that in mind. Now, as I've said before, but just to reinforce it, everything, first of all, points to Christ. Christ is our altar of sacrifice, the cross. He was lifted up, his broken body, he shed blood. Christ is our uh, labor, washing of water by the word. Christ is our lampstand. He's the light of the world. We are the light of the world. He illuminates us and supplies the oil of the Holy Spirit. Christ is our table of showbread. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup. So it's, everything's in Christ first of all. Then it finds its fulfillment in the church. And now Christ is our intercessor, our high priest, our intercessor. Now let me um, uh, just turn to um, a scripture that comes to mind here before we move on. Uh, just to confirm what I'm saying, turn over to uh, Ezekiel chapter, Ezekiel chapter, chapter 11, I think it is. Yes, Ezekiel 11 and verse uh, 16, just a very simple uh, uh, passage at the close of the verse here but pointing to Christ. So as I said, everything is first of all in Christ. He is the Word made flesh, the Word was made flesh, and tabernacle among us, He dwelt among us. So everything finds its fulfillment in Christ first. All right, uh, Ezekiel uh, 11, Ezekiel 11 and verse 16. Now, let me just preface this uh, reading the verse. Uh, the temple at Jerusalem has been destroyed at this time. Uh, the house of Judah has been taken to Babylonian captivity, and so many of the uh, the godly of the Babylon, uh, the godly of the uh, uh, the house of Judah, are lamenting. We've got no temple. Uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has destroyed the temple, destroyed the city, and so what are we going to do, Lord? Now here's the word of the Lord to them through the prophet, verse 16. Therefore, say, thus says the Lord God: Although I have cast them far off among the Gentiles. And although I have scattered them among the countries, yet I, everybody say I, 
I shall be a little sanctuary for them in the countries wherewith they have gone. So though they haven't got a material temple and all the, the things have been taken, the, the vessels have been taken to Babylon and captivity and so forth, he says, okay, don't worry about that. I will be that to you. It's all in him. After all, everything pointed to him. So he says, I will be. So Christ is our sanctuary. Wherever I go, wherever you go, you've got a sanctuary. It's all in him, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's worth a little baby. Hallelujah. All right, number two. Uh, back to your notes now. It's measurements. All right, a couple of thoughts you can put there. First of all, it was four square. So it's one cubit wide by one cubit wide. So four square. And four is the number of earth. And it speaks of the worldwide ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as our intercessor. So it's four square. And uh, that's sort of a whole study in itself. Uh, the, uh, the brazen altar here was four square. Uh, this altar was four square. The most holy place was four square. The uh, holy place was a double four square. And yet everything's in the shape of the cross. And, uh, you know, the Gospels bring you to the cross, but the book of Revelation brings you to the four square city. Everything's four square there. So you only enter the four squareness through the cross. So we only enter the four-square city through uh, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, number, f uh, number of earth, four-square. And uh, this is a significant thing I'd like you to put under the measurements. It is the highest article of furniture. The highest article of furniture. So what is the highest ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ? He ever lives to make intercession for them that come unto God by him. So the highest ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ is the golden altar of incense. His intercessory ministry. All right, number three, it's horns. Here we have four horns. And what do horns symbolize? Power, power of the animal, if uh, that case. But the four horns, it's the power of Christ's prayer and intercession. The power of Christ's prayer and intercession, its horns. And uh, I think now and then we just need to remind ourselves, you know, we often ask people to pray for us and that is good and I appreciate different people who pray for uh, my wife and I. But did you know Jesus is praying for you? Someone's praying for you 24 hours a day. Whether you're awake or asleep or half asleep, Jesus is praying for us. And that's very comforting. Thank you, Jesus. And how many know that the Father hears his prayers? Yes, because you're on, on his heart. Okay, it's crown. Uh, only the old translation has that. Not only has horns, but has crown. A crown of gold. Put down Hebrews 2, uh, verse 7 again. Hebrews 2, verse 7, so the crown. Uh, as I said before, he was crowned with thorns on earth, but he's now crowned with glory. And uh, next to that... Jesus Christ is a king and a priest. Aaron was only a priest. Jesus Christ is king-priest, and that points to the order of Melchizedek, who was a king and a priest. Jesus is our Melchizedek. So the crown. Uh, number five, it's position. It's position, and I want you to listen to this here. It's uh, just before the veil. We had the proper diagram just before the veil. So in other words, 
It's the last article of furniture the priest would touch before he enters within the veil, within the holiest of all. So he would touch this, the altar, the blood, touch the water, the laver, walk in the light of the golden candlestick, partake of the bread, but the last article of furniture would be there. So it's the highest article, and just before the veil, we'll uh, see some significance of that in, in, in time here. All right, so it's position just immediately before the, the veil, before the throne of God, the Ark of the Covenant. Number six, it's rings and staves. What's the thought there? We've repeated this each time. Journey, the wilderness journey. They were pilgrims and strangers throughout the wilderness. So rings and staves. So pilgrim journey through the wilderness. All right, number seven, it's atonement. I'd like you to turn to this scripture here. You'll notice, you'll notice in the uh, scripture we read in Exodus 30, verse 10, if you want to put that there again, and Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It's most holy to the Lord. That was Exodus chapter 30 and verse 10. Let's turn to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus verse 16 and verse uh, uh, 18 and 19. Now we'll come back to this chapter in a little while when we get more into the application of it. This chapter, you may like to make a note for the moment, this chapter has to do with Yom Kippur, the great day of atonement. The great day of atonement. I want you to keep that in mind. So in verse uh, 18 and 19, it says, And he... That's Aaron. He shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times, cleanse it and consecrate it from all the uncleanness of the children of Israel. So once a year on the great day of atonement, the high priest was to go and sprinkle the blood on this altar, on the horns, first of all, and, and let me say a statement I'd like you to write down if you want to here. It's the blood that gives the incense power. It's the blood of Jesus that gives our prayers power. And that's why we always come to the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, through the blood. And you see, every religion in the world prays to God but as I've said this before, it's a bit of a shock statement, but it's true. Even we as Christians cannot go to God direct. And there are many religions in the world that go and pray to God, whoever God is, whether it's the God of the Bible, that's another thing. But we come to the Father through the Son. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So we always come through our Lord Jesus Christ through his precious blood, and it's the blood that gives incense its power. So on the great day of atonement, the blood was sprinkled. All right, number eight, its purpose. Purpose is simply to burn incense on. Now you'll notice God's very clear to burn incense on. So the purpose of the altar was to burn incense on. There was not to be any drink offering or blood offering or sacrifice. This altar was for that, the bronze altar. So sin was dealt with out here. 
This is not, this is the altar for sacrifice, for the body and blood of sacrificial victims. This is the altar of incense. This is brass or bronze. This is gold. So they must not confuse the altar. So on the basis of blood shed out on this altar, it gives this power, this altar power, incense. That's it. So it's purpose to burn incense. All right, number nine, and this is a whole study in itself. There were actually altogether uh, five, five uh, ingredients in the incense itself. If you look at Exodus chapter 30 in the same chapter, uh, you, need, you needn't bother look at it because of our time here. Verse 34 to 38 give the details of the incense. Uh, verses 1 to 10 in the same chapter is the, uh, the details of the altar. And this is the uh, details of the incense ingredients. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> Come out. <coughs> I am out. <coughs> <coughs> Pardon me. Let me have some more holy water. <laughs> I just get too excited up here. All right, so um, there was stacked, which was like a gum from a tree. And then there was oncha, which is from a shellfish. And then there was galbanum, which is a tree gum. And then frankincense, which was also a gum. And then uh, under letter E... All these things were to be salted together, blended together, tempered together, salted together. So five in, uh, ingredients uh, in, uh, in the incense there. And uh, when all these, in, uh, these ingredients were crushed, there was uh, that which was sweet and bitter. So you've got on your notes there. And they all crushed fine and blended together. Okay, so uh, the sweet and the bitter there, crushed fine. And we think of what Jesus went through to become our intercessor. And then we're told that the incense was sweet, bitter. Uh, sometimes, uh, how many know that when John and uh, Ezekiel were told to eat the word, the Lord said to him, it will be sweet in your mouth, but bitter in your belly. How many remember that? And uh, I say, that's God's Chinese meal, sweet and sour. <laughs> it was sweet to talk about these things, but when God works them out in your experience, there's a little bit of a Chinese meal there, sweet and sour. Okay, the incense was pure, and then letter C, it was holy, and letter D, it was fragrant, and a real good point here, letter E, no substitutes were allowed to be offered before the Lord, and you can put this sentence next to that, there is no substitute for prayer, that's it, there's no substitute for prayer life. So I want to challenge you on that, on your prayer life, so there's no substitute and I think in the church at large, uh, often today, we bring in a lot of substitutes. His house is supposed to be a house of prayer. We bring in a lot of substitutes. But God said no substitutes. And then number 10, it's ministration. Just put this down. Put down uh, two scriptures here. Exodus 30 and verse se uh, 7, under number 10. Second Chronicles chapter 29, verse 7. Second Chronicles 29, verse 7. And also one from the Psalms, Psalm 55 and verse 17. So 
run through quickly there. Exodus 30, verse 7, 2 Chronicles 29, 7, verse 7 that is, and Psalms 55, verse 17. Now, listen carefully to the point I want you to get here. When Aaron, after offering the sacrifice here, the blood and the water, and he's in the most holy place, he is to minister, this was once a week, he, as he ministers at the altar of incense, he is to do it when, and I emphasise the, the two whens there, when he is trimming the lamps and supplying oil to the lamps, then he's to burn incense. You see, how many realise that there's a connection between our prayer and the supply of the oil of the Holy Spirit? These two, the priests had to tend. And when did he do it? Morning and evening, morning and evening, morning and evening. So I challenge you, what's your morning and evening devotions like? While my, while my, while my wife is laying before the Lord for that extra hour <laughs> that she enjoys when I'm not there, I try to have my daily incense every morning, 6, 6.30, somewhere around there time at the altar of incense, my prayer. And then before I go to sleep, my wife likes to read me a devotional, put me to sleep. <laughs> we have, have our prayer morning and evening, morning and evening. Seven days a week, there was the burning of the incense and the supply of the oil. Holy Spirit, they're connected. That's the ministration. All right, so number 10, morning and evening. And uh, Psalm 57, 55 verse 17 puts it this way. Uh, David, I think it's the Psalm of David. He says, evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. So evening and morning, evening and morning and at noon will I pray. So the daily offering. So when the lamps were being tended, morning and evening, he was to burn incense. All right, so much for some of the typical in, uh, uh, implications there. Under letter D, our main part, our application. First of all, to Christ. Uh, Christ is the one and only mediator between God and man. So these scriptures are very clear here. Uh, John 14, verse 1 and verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Hebrews 7, verse 25 to 26. He ever lives to make intercession... For them that come unto God by him. He used to sing that good old gospel song. I would come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory. Great things he has done. Now, turn over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 for a thought I'd like to give you. Everybody doing okay? Thanks for being a wonderful people here while we have a little bit of steak. Uh, Romans chapter 8. Now, I want you to notice here that in this chapter, Paul is talking about uh, intercession. And uh, we, in this chapter, we actually have two intercessors. They're both vitally one, as we'll see, but let's go through. All right, so in verse uh, 26, let's go through. There, likewise, it says, um, yeah, uh, Romans 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. 
helps our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. We know that everything works together for good, all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Then you go way down to verse uh, 34, and it says, Who is he that condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also, everybody say also, who also makes intercession for us. So if you connect verse 26 and verse 20, uh, 34, we have one intercessor in heaven for us and we have another intercessor in earth in us. Did you realize that? That the Lord Jesus Christ is our intercessor in heaven and he's in touch with the Father 24 hours a day. But did you know that in you, you have another intercessor? The Holy Spirit. And he is in us and the Holy Spirit, the intercessor in us, is in contact with the intercessor in heaven for us. Hallelujah. 24 hours a day. So even when I'm asleep, Holy Spirit, you're in me. You're in touch with Jesus. 24 hours a day. Same one. And Holy Spirit makes intercession for us according to the will of God. And Jesus also who is risen is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So if you want to put that thought there, so there's an intercessor in us and there's an intercessor in heaven for us. And the Holy Spirit and Jesus are one and in contact with each other 24 hours a day. Hallelujah. So he's the advocate, 1 John chapter 2. He ever lives to make intercession for them that come unto God by him. And then in John 17, we have the great Lord's Prayer. We'll be coming back to that, I think, next week. Okay, to the Christian. Now, several people have asked me in the course of uh, our couple of Sundays together about, and uh, also in life groups, um, I get this prayer. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, some people have asked me, say, Kevin, you know, what's the proper way to pray? Should we, should we pray to, to God or should we pray to Jesus? Should we pray to the Holy Spirit? What, what really? Well, I said, okay, this is the biblical way of praying, okay? I don't think Father, Son, Holy Spirit get upset about things, okay, because they're one. But uh, this is the biblical way. So Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 18 uh, we'll lead into it from, um, we better lead into it uh, from verse 16, I think, yeah. So, that, uh, or verse 14, he, who, who's the he referring to? The Lord Jesus Christ, yeah, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, uh, he is our peace, who's made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments containing ordinances, for the making himself of two, one new man, so making peace, and, he, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to uh, you who were far off, uh, the Gentiles, and to those who were near, the Jews. And here it is, verse 18. For through him, 
we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So this is how I, I would put it. What is our proper way, theologically, biblically, to pray? We come to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. So let, let me say that again because we're being theological here and the more we pray with understanding is what Paul tells us to. So we, we, we come to the Father through Jesus the Son by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is in us. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Father's there and Jesus at the, at the Father's right hand. So biblically, uh, the way we should pray is say, Father, we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we come to the Father through Jesus the Son and we come by the Spirit. We're praying in the Spirit. We uh, edify ourselves and we build up our most holy faith. We build ourselves up in the Spirit. Uh, uh, just that spirit of prayer. So it's the Holy Spirit in us that keeps us in touch with the Father through the Son. So that's being theological. So it's a habit of mine, once I saw this, that we come to the Father through Jesus the Son and we come by the power of the Spirit. Does that make sense to everybody? But sometimes people say, oh, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Uh, they say, who, who are you praying to now? <laughs> okay. Uh, I know, they, I know no, no one in the God gets mad about it because we're such ignoramuses. Not, not you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but uh, that's the biblical way. So, and, and Jesus said, you know, you have come to the Father through the Son. He ever lives to make intercession to come unto God by Him. So we come to the Father by the Son, through the Son, by the Spirit. Everyone said amen on that? All right, so just a simple thing here. Now, the main thing I want us to look at here under number three is to the church. Acts chapter 2, I've already given you those scriptures there. In the early church, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. All right, Luke 19.46, Jesus said, My house shall be house of prayer. Honestly, how many churches today as a whole really put prayer first? Or do you think there's a danger of music replacing prayer? It doesn't say my house will be a house of music. It says it will be a house of prayer. I think the church needs to be challenged on this and wait till we're through. Thank you, Kevin, for that very good point. <laughs> All right, now, for those who haven't checked this out, um, I want you to turn over to Psalm 141. I want, I want to build a picture for you in a moment here. Uh, Psalm 141. Now Daniel, uh, not Daniel, uh, David, David is uh, you know, a wonderful man of God and uh, he, he knew all about this tabernacle. I don't know if he knew all what I'm saying, you know, but he knew about and his psalms are just riddled with the language of the tabernacle. And uh, we, we would not understand a lot of things uh, in the tabernacle apart from David. And uh, what I got the students to do 100 years ago, it seems now, I had them go through the Psalms and find every reference to tabernacles or tabernacle furniture in the Psalms. And the Psalms are riddled with it. So I'm only just giving you one example of this. Psalm 141 and uh, verse 1 and 2. It's on your notes there. And David says, Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to, to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. And here it is. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. So what is incense likened to? 
prayer. So our prayer is like the ascending incense. So the ingredients of prayer coming from our heart, uh, ascending, uh, like ascending within the veil. So because this article of furniture was just before the veil, as the incense was continually burning, morning and evening, throughout the day, throughout the night, the fragrance of it was ascending into the very presence of God, into the Shekinah glory, right before the Ark of the Covenant. The whole place was fragmented with it. And so that, that's it, the fragrance of it. So let my prayer, and then that's the altar. But look at, look at the next part of the verse. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So in this verse, David links both these altar together. Let my prayer be set before thee as the incense, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So when, yeah, and how many did find when you first come to City Life here that you felt embarrassed to lift up your hands? Be honest. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've seen it over the years, you know. You know, and people have said to me, you know, having been through this, I just feel so stupid lifting my hands up. And, I, and others have said to me, I'm not going to lift up my hands unless I feel led. I said, well, look, if somebody came behind you with a gun and said, stick them up, would you say, I don't feel led? You would feel led. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, the Bible tells us to lift up our holy hands. Amen? As he, it might be a sacrifice in your old flesh. But... My prayer is incense and the lifting up of my hands. Hallelujah is the evening sacrifice. Thank you, Kevin, for that good point. All right, the next couple of scriptures here. Uh, praying always. You can read those scriptures. Ephesians 6, 18. Praying always in the Spirit. I believe you encourage you to speak in tongues every day. Pray in tongues every day. Uh, pray in the Spirit. Uh, Colossians 4, Romans 12. So praying always. Now, here's the main thing I want you to look at with me. I want you to go over to uh, the book of Revelation. Now, this may be a little bit heavy, but that's, that's all right. You're doing okay? Okay, let's turn over to Revelation. And I, I'd first of all, so I'm, I'm free to preach, teach a little bit here. I want you to go, to, go in this order. Uh, the... Um, the, the altar of incense, and that's why I said to you the first night, if we don't understand these things, we're not going to, you know, understand the master key in the book of Revelation. So I want you to go through the verses in this order with me. Revelation 5, verses 8 to 10. Revelation 5, verse 8 to 10, first of all. Now when he had taken the, the scroll, or when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense and the interpretation of the symbolism clear, which are the prayers of the saints. So just confirming what David said. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For you were slain, you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on earth. All right, just pick up some seed thoughts first of all, then I want to paint a picture for you. So uh, the, the book, the, the, uh, uh, first of all, the 24 elders have golden bowls full of incense. 
And the interpretation is clear, the prayers of the saints. Now, you have two instruments that 24 elders have here. They have a harp, and the harp comes from the tabernacle of David. And the bowl of incense comes from the tabernacle of Moses. And they sang a new song, new song, Tabernacle of David. So Tabernacle of Moses, Tabernacle of David are brought together here. Then they say, uh, verse 10, you've made us kings and priests. David was a king, Moses was a priest. But the two officers are brought together, king, priest, order of Melchizedek. All right, now let's go to Revelation chapter 9. 9. Then we'll come back to the important chapter. Revelation chapter 9. So the significance of the golden altar before the throne here. Revelation 9 and verse 13. And the sixth angel sounded and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God. And so that voice tells what to do. Now let's go back to uh, Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1 through to 6. Revelation 8, 1 through to 6. All right, Revelation 8, 1 through to 6. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense... Uh, with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth. And there were noises and thunderings, lightnings and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. All right, now let's look at the uh, awesome picture that we've got here. Now, I want, to, I want to weave sort of two pictures here just to show you the significance of this. All right, so. Now, don't, don't worry if you don't get the whole significance of this because we're covering such uh, vast uh, things here. Now, the picture we have in Revelation chapter 8 is actually the picture of the Day of Atonement, which I believe, and there are other writers believe this, that the church has yet to experience everything that's involved in the Day of Atonement. Now, let me just leave this picture a moment and weave in another one here. Uh, in, in, in Leviticus chapter 23, we find that God gave the nation of Israel three festival occasions. The first feast was one that we're very familiar with, was the Feast of Passover. Everybody say Passover. Passover. All right, the next feast that they had to have was Pentecost. And then there were four months of dry months here. The Feast of Passover was in the first month and the Feast of Pentecost was in the third month. And then there was uh, month four, five, six, these were dry months, no rain, no harvest. And then the last feast was the 
uh, in the seventh month, and this was the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, I think there's a lot of significance today that a lot of people, I, I think uh, some of it's a little bit ignorant on some areas, uh, rushing off to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles and so forth. Uh, they just need to think of some of these things. And so the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, historically, and a number of writers have seen this, historically the church, Christ and the church, has had certain feasts. So, because I'm talking to a very intelligent bunch of people, better over this side than this side, okay. Which books in the New Testament, because remember, our first night Christ said, I come not to destroy the law, but to fulfill. So which books in the New Testament show the fulfillment of the Feast of Passover? Gospels, okay. Thank you for that underwhelming response. Okay. So the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so show Christ fulfilling the Feast of Passover. He's the Passover lamb. That feast has been historically fulfilled, and every time a person accepts Christ, it's just another way of putting it, it is experientially fulfilled, receiving Christ as the Lamb of God, his broken body and shed blood. All right, you're getting better now. Which book in the New Testament shows the fulfillment of the Feast of Pentecost? Oh, you're getting better as you improve. Okay, book of Acts. Holy Spirit, so first, uh, second person went back to the Father, third person come down. Holy Spirit, book of Acts. Then these months here are virtually covered in the epistles, and we can't digress too much on this, representing the wilderness period and so forth, calling to holiness, because that's where Israel failed. Now, what books in the New Testament deal with the only unfulfilled feast? And there are other writers, not just me and my, my group here, I believe that. Uh, there are writers who say the only unfulfilled feast in the church, Passover has been fulfilled, Pentecost has been fulfilled, the only unfulfilled feast in the church is the Feast of Tabernacles. What books in the New Testament deal with this feast? Does anybody know? Two books. Okay, number one, if you want to put it down. So Book of Hebrews and the book of Revelation. These are the two books that deal with the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, in the Feast of Tabernacles, this is only part, because I've got to relate to this here, in the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, it had three parts to it. Number one, on the first day, there was the Feast of Trumpets. I'll abbreviate this because of time here. The Feast of Trumpets. So Revelation opens up with trumpets, 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 seven trumpets here. Then number two, the second part of the feast was the great day of atonement. Okay, on the 10th day, Yom Kippur. And the sad part is today that uh, those in the synagogue, they have a bloodless day of atonement. Because you can't have Pentecost without Passover and you can't have tabernacles without those two feasts. Christians need to realize that. Then, number three, the third part of the Feast of Tabernacles was the ingathering. It was harvest time. The harvest is the end of the age. Ingathering, the harvest, after atonement. Now, why did I say all this? Revelation chapter 1 opens with a trumpet. Revelation chapter 4 opens up with a trumpet. Revelation 8 opens up with seven trumpets. And the whole scene there is the Day of Atonement. Now, why am I saying all this? How does it relate to this? Because you see, Passover 
his outer court. Pentecost is holy place and most holy place is tabernacle because it was only on the great day of atonement that the priest entered within the veil. Now, what I want to relate to now is after the sacrifice, this is what the priest would do on the day of atonement. Um, yeah, turn quickly, quickly, faster. Turn to Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus 16. Are you getting something out of this? Yeah. All right, Leviticus chapter 16. And just put down for your notes, in this chapter, the great day of atonement chapter, there were two clouds. First of all, there is God's glory cloud, which was up here. So that is in verse 1. Listen to it. And, or verse 1 2. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place, the most holy place it really is, inside the veil, before the mercy seat which is upon the ark, lest he die. And here's your first cloud. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. That is the Shekinah glory cloud, as the Jews refer to it. But there is another cloud. That is God's sovereignty. <clears throat> God's sovereignty there. I hope my teaching isn't as dry as my throat. <clears throat> but there's a cloud that is human responsibility that we are to make. Now, this is God's cloud. This is God's sovereignty. Listen to it. Verse um, 12 and 13. And he shall put, uh, verse 12, and he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense, everybody say that with me, the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. Now there's God's cloud of glory, but there's the cloud of incense. Now, I have to sort of come in for a landing some of you, and I'm so sorry to cut some of this out. On the Day of Atonement, after the sacrifice had been made here, he touched the blood and the water in the light of this, he now goes to this final article of furniture, and he takes the golden censer. That's why in Hebrews chapter 9 people ask a question about this. It looks like the golden censer is within the veil. It is used on the Day of Atonement. And here he's going into the very presence and glory cloud of, of God there, but he has to enter by the cloud of the incense. And as the cloud of incense is, he enters within the veil into the very presence and holiness of God. Now, I have to wrap it up. I'm sorry about this. But you see, uh, this, is, this is the thing I want to finish up on. The measurements of this holy place were 10 by 10 by 20, 2,000 cubical content. The measurements of the most holy place were 10 by 10 by 10, 1,000 cubical contents. And the measurements of the curtains around here, they were, I, I haven't got time to explain it, 1,500. And this is what you've got. From Moses to Jesus, there was 1,500 years of the law. From the first coming of Christ to the second coming, without setting any dates, we have 2,000 years of the church age. 
when Jesus comes up and sets his kingdom the second time on earth, it's a thousand years called my Christian millennium. So what I'm saying here is that we are at the end of the 2,000 cubits. And I believe that the spirit of prayer and intercession is to hit the church in a greater way and a more intense way than it ever has for the church to experience everything that was involved in the Day of Atonement. That's enough for the night. So much more could be said. Let's stand. <clears throat> Do meditate upon these things and just read afresh the scriptures. Let, let's, let's pray. Uh, why don't we lift our hands and challenge your own heart. How's your prayer life? How are you, are you filling up the censer? Because when the censer is brought to its fullness, then it's turned upside down in the earth. And that's always a sign of God moving. And uh, saints, I've said it before, we need to fill up the censer. We need to be praying. Let the spirit of prayer and intercession. Father, I just pray that you'll take our sessions tonight. Once again, Lord, I pray it'll not just be uh, just information to the mind, but the Holy Spirit will take it from our head to our heart and that our lives will be different, Lord. Help us. Father, I just pray we, we so desperately need a Holy Spirit revival in this nation of Australia, Lord. We have so much, so much going on, Lord, but where's the presence? Where's the Holy Spirit? Just where are you, Lord? And we just pray, Lord, that you'll intensify the spirit of prayer and supplication as we enter within the veil and prepare for that great day of atonement. We thank you for Passover. Thank you for Pentecost, Lord. But we know there's still something that none of us have fully experienced. And you want to bring the church into it in these last days. Let it be, Lord. And may the word fall upon good ground of our heart and bring forth fruit. Even this week in our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Visit kevinconnor.org for more information.